Thank you for listening to the Maranatha Free Lutheran Church Sermon Archive. It's our hope that this message would encourage you in your faith and would help you to get to know God's love, grace, and mercy in a personal way. If you have any questions on the sermon or would like to know more about Maranatha, please visit us on the web at maranathafreelutheran.com or call our church office at 218-498-2808. Thank you, and may God bless. The storms that we go through in life with, in, in this cosmic battle between good and evil that's going on in the world all around us and even within us. Um, however, you know, in our culture today, the lines between good and evil and between the righteous and the wicked have gotten increasingly blurry. And uh, terms uh, have sometimes even be, um, been used in ways uh, totally different from their biblical definitions. And I, I think of an example of that. Uh, interesting one from uh, back in 2004, there was a Disney Pixar animated film that came out called The Incredibles. And uh, some of you might remember there was this minor character in the story, uh, Ru- Rusty McAllister. Do you remember him? He was that little kid that was on the tricycle in a couple of scenes there. And uh, he, I think he lived next door to the Parr family. The Parr family are the ones that have the superpowers and, and use them to fight off evil. They're the Incredibles. And uh, in a couple of different scenes in the movie then, Rusty's on his tricycle as he's observing some of those superpowers displayed um, next door. Toward the end of the movie, uh, when Syndrome gets defeated by the Parr family and their house blows up, and Rusty looks on from his tricycle in amazement, and then he exclaims what? That was totally wicked. <laughs> and we laugh at that. You know, that in the context there, wicked means something totally different, doesn't it? it? It means that was really cool, awesome, terrific, something to be admired. Completely opposite from the word wicked and what it means in, in, in Scripture. Biblically speaking, just who are the wicked and the righteous? Before we look in Psalm 37 today here, I want to just reference that here and say uh, the righteous. Uh, On the one hand, as we look in the Bible, um, it it tells us that there are none righteous, not even one of us. All of us are sinners who have rebelled against God and have failed to live up to God's perfect standards. And yet the New Testament also makes very clear that, that sinners that admit their sins and believe that Jesus, the sinless Son of God, died on the cross in their place, then have his righteousness imputed or, or transferred over to their account. And, and so God looks on them in Christ and as, as though they had never sinned, and, and they then are considered the righteous. Several of the Psalms contrast the wicked and the righteous, and, and in that context then the righteous is, is used to describe a person that's in a right relationship with God, trusting in God's promised salvation. And the wicked, then, are all those who are living their lives not in a right relationship with God. My study Bible notes say it this way, the wicked hold God's word in contempt and utter disregard, and the righteous order their lives and view the world according to God's word and wisdom. Or as we found last week when we looked at the first part of Psalm 37, The wicked are those that do not look to the Lord, and the righteous are those that do. I invite you to look with me again at Psalm 37 today as we continue on in that, uh, verses 12 to 26 today. And and here we see then the Lord's sovereignty over 
the wicked and the righteous. I invite you to stand in reverence to God's word as, as we read, begin at verse 12 there. The wicked plots against the righteous and gnashes at him with his teeth. The Lord laughs at him, for he sees that his day is coming. The wicked have drawn the sword and bent their bow to take down the afflicted and the needy and to kill off those who are upright in conduct. Their sword will enter their own heart and their bows will be broken. Better is the little of the righteous than the abundance of many wicked. For the arms of the wicked will be broken, but the Lord sustains the righteous. The Lord knows the days of the blameless, and their inheritance will be forever. They will not be ashamed in time of evil. In the days of famine they will have plenty, but the wicked will perish. And the enemies of the Lord will be like the glory of the pastures. They vanish like smoke. They vanish away. The wicked borrows and does not pay back, but the righteous is gracious and gives. For those blessed by him will inherit the land, but those cursed by him will be eliminated. The steps of the man are established by the Lord, <clears throat> and he delights in his way. And when he falls, he will not be hurled headlong, because the Lord is the one who holds his hand. I've been young, and now I'm old, yet I've not seen the righteous forsaken, or his descendants begging for bread. All day long he is gracious and lends, and his descendants are a blessing. Let us pray. Lord, I pray that as we look in your word today, you would give us discernment. Lord, you would help us to see as we contrast the wicked and the righteous. And, and Lord, pray that you would work in each of our hearts, uh, that we would desire to live for you and follow you, and, and that we would see the forces of evil around us. And, and Lord, that, that you would help us then to live walking close with you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. First of all, then let's take a look at what the psalmist says here about the wicked. And now, I think, if we're honest, maybe many of us are kind of uncomfortable even with that term. And either then we tend to make light of it, or else we reserve it for those that we think are really, really bad, murderers and rapists and swindlers. But, but biblically, the wicked is referring to all people who do not look to the Lord and are not interested in listening to his word, but instead hold it in contempt and disregard. And we see here, then, as we begin with verse 12, uh, David pointing out here about the wicked that their plotting and their hatred for the righteous is very real. Not only do they hate God and his standards of conduct, but they also hate those who believe in God and hold to his standards. And I believe that we are seeing really an increasing amount of this in our society today. A, a despising and, and a mocking of Christians and biblical Christianity. A, a viewing of the biblical historical accounts then as, as really just mythical stories. And viewing then the biblical standards of morality as old-fashioned and even ridiculous to believe in in this modern age. And so the wicked then start with the very beginning of our Bibles here, and they discredit the Genesis account of creation and also then God's creation of humanity as male and female. In Genesis, God's word declares that he made them male and female. And he said, for this cause a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Well, 
in my lifetime, we have seen this understanding of sexuality and of marriage gradually but very purposefully eroded. Beginning with maybe the sexual revolution of the 60s, promising free sex and multiple sexual partners in life, followed by then what's become the LBGT agenda, uh, that's seeking to normalize same-sex relationships and even marriage between same-sex partners. And in the last decade, then, this has gone from homosexuality being considered still abnormal to gay marriage becoming law in our land. And we're now at a point where even speaking against that and holding to biblical sexual morality is sometimes branded as hate speech. The more recent but deliberate attack on biblical morality is the spreading of gender dysphoria which perpetuates in this lie that, if you, that, that, that you can switch genders if you don't like what God created you to be. And this lie that there are actually not only two genders, but many. And you know, the younger generation is, is falling prey to those lies. And if it's not our own kids, our kids as friends are, are being drawn to this thinking. And I hear it more and more prevalent around us. You see, the wicked hate the righteous, and they plot against them and against their God, and they are determined to establish deviant behavior as normal and to require all to agree with them. And they have pursued that in the religious realm, for instance, by pressuring churches and denominations to change their theology regarding sexuality. And they've succeeded in some respects. Just in the last month, I believe it was, one synod in the ELCA, recently elected their first transgender bishop. The wicked have formed alliances in the culture um, to influence the news sources and, and entertainment world, and thus they largely then shape what is considered politically correct these days. In the realm of education, the, the wicked are infiltrating colleges, networking teachers' unions, shaping what is taught in public school systems, and, and besides their lies about the gender issues, Lately, they're pushing very strongly, mandating critical race theory instruction in all the public schools. In the business world, the wicked are rating businesses with respect to their support of LGBT issues. And in politics, they're continually working to change laws regarding marriage and adoption and non-discrimination non and other things. Do you see it? They're plotting and their determination to win over the culture. And does it not look in, in this area and many others like the wicked are winning? But the psalmist gives us perspective here on the wicked by reminding us that their time of judgment is coming. Now let me lighten up just for a bit here and, and pick on Pastor Ryan for a minute. Um, <laughs> Pastor Ryan and I try to eat lunch together here uh, about once a week. Uh, it's a good time for us to touch base about various ministry things, and, I, and I'm so glad to have him as a co-worker here, and, and besides uh, talking about ministry things, we sh share about our families, and we pray with each other for those things. And, and you know, it is always interesting on those days that we eat lunch together here to, to find out what leftovers come from each of our houses. Um, and uh, Liz makes some fascinating dishes. Um, 
Sometimes when leftovers are in short supply at my house, I, I end up bringing what I call salad fixings, you know, so have a salad on the side. And uh, Ryan never does that. So, sometimes I offer him some of my salad supply, but he always turns me down. The other day I told him this. I, I said, just wait. Someday you'll be old and you'll have to adjust to eating salads like me. <laughs> now, we laugh about that, and I'm not sure if that's going to happen or not, but sooner or later most people's metabolism changes and they have to adjust some things in how they eat. And you can say their time is coming. Well, all that to make a point. Their time is coming. That's what the psalmist says here about the wicked. Their time is coming, and not maybe, but for sure. It, it may appear that they're succeeding with their agenda for now, but their time is coming. Verse 13, the Lord laughs at him, for he sees that his day is coming. Judgment day is coming, and the truth will become known. And it, and it may happen that the wicked are exposed in this life, but it definitely will happen in eternity. And David points out the goals and the desires of the wicked here, and he says their desire is to cast down the afflicted and the needy and to slay the upright. Their, their hatred of, of God and those who listen to him is, is very strong. They, they don't care who they take down in the process. The afflicted and the needy, the, the most vulnerable, are their easiest targets. And, and we definitely can see that in various things around us. And one of the examples would be the crisis at the border with Mexico, where massive numbers of unaccompanied minors are caught in between. And they are so vulnerable then for exploitation and abuse and recruitment by gangs and smugglers and predators. The wicked could care less about the afflicted and the needy. And they also despise the upright, and they are out to destroy them. And we see that in politics, where the wicked are out to brand conservative Christian politicians as science deniers and radical extremists, rather than the God-fearing upright leaders that many of them are. The psalmist describes the attacks of the wicked this way. Verse 14, the, the wicked have drawn the sword and bent the bow to take down the afflicted and the needy and to kill off those who are upright in conduct. So the picture there is this. Their weapons are drawn, sword in their hand, or, or the string pulled back on the bow, and the bow is bent with the arrows ready to fly. But the psalmist reminds us here about the wicked. He says their weapons will turn on them. Their sword will enter their own heart, and their bows will be broken. They will expose themselves sooner or later, or their plans will backfire like, like Haman in the Old Testament book of Esther. And as we go on in this psalm here, then verses 16 to 22 are, are this uh, contrasting of the righteous and the wicked. And, and there you see then in verse 16, the righteous may have little now. They might not have some things that, that uh, are earthly um, pleasures here. That, and the wicked might end up with abundance. It may look like they're rich and everything, they have everything they want. <clears throat> but it tells us here in verse 17, the Lord sustains the righteous, even in their physical shortages. But, and he also says then concerning the wicked, their arms will be broken. What's he saying? Think of it this way, that they are hanging on to all their possessions in their arms. But when they're broken, they, they won't be able to hang on to them any longer. Verse 18, the Lord knows 
the days of the righteous, and their inheritance will last forever. And they, they will not be ashamed by trusting in God. Whereas the wicked, it says, will perish like the pasture. I was back in my hometown this last week here in Mackville, and boy, are the pastures dry up there. They're crackly dry as you walk through them. We're hoping and praying they get some of the rain that comes this way. Uh, pastures normally, though, are green for a while, and then each year they dry up like that. It's saying that about the wicked. They will perish like the pasture. They will vanish like smoke. Smoke just blows away with the wind. And so it is with the temporariness of the wicked. And in their relationships with other people, concerning the righteous, it says here that they will be gracious and give, whereas the wicked borrow and don't pay back. The righteous will inherit the land. The wicked will be cursed by the Lord and will cut off. The wicked might think that they have it all together and have a good thing going, looking on the outside like they're succeeding in life and getting everything they want. But Christians, don't let it fool you. Their, their time is coming in which they will have to stand before their maker and give an account. And plus, they are far more miserable on the inside than they show on the outside. And in contrast to them, then, as we look at verse 23 to 26 here, we see the security of the righteous. And remember now, the righteous aren't those that are perfect. None of us are. But it, it is referring to those that admit their faults and they trust in God's forgiveness and who listen to and then learn from God's word. Other words for the righteous in this psalm are the humble, the blameless, the upright. And concerning the righteous, then, the psalmist says here, their steps are established by the Lord. There's a firmness to their steps. Even when the righteous man goes through trials in this life, he recognizes they're part of God's plan. I think of Spurgeon um, speaking about this. He says, all of his course of life is graciously ordained, and in loving kindness all is fixed and settled and maintained. No reckless fate, no fickle chance rules us. Our every step is the subject of divine decree. Like parents that are excited as they watch their toddler take his first steps, it's saying here, so the Lord delights in his children and their steps in, his, in this life. Verse 23, the steps of a man are established by the Lord and he delights in his way. And when he falls, do you catch that? When, David doesn't say there if he falls. He says when he falls. There will be those times, even for the righteous. Falling is part of this life in this sinful world. But for the righteous, it says that his falls are not fatal because the Lord's holding his hand. When that toddler is in those early stages of, of walking, often a, a parent will take their hand and just walk alongside them. And, and that toddler is inevitably going to trip at some point, but he doesn't fall on his face or get seriously hurt because he's hanging on, or his parents are hanging on to his hand. So is the picture here. When he falls, he will not be hurled headlong because the Lord is the one who holds his hand. And what an awesome perspective to have then as we go through this life. The Lord walking beside us and even holding our hand, even as we walk all the way through this life into the valley of the shadow of death. Spurgeon says, Sorrow may bring us to the earth and death may bring us to the grave, but lower we cannot sink, and out of the lowest of all we shall arise to the highest of all. I want to conclude today by looking at verse 25 and 26 here. And the perspective that is there then of, of an old man who has walked with God through the years. And he says this, I have been young, 
Now I'm old, yet I've not seen the righteous forsaken or his descendants begging for bread. All day long he is gracious and lends, and his descendants are a blessing. The psalmist's observation in old age, looking back on his life, he said, I, I've seen a lot of things, but I've never seen this. I've never seen the righteous forsaken. God never forsakes his own. Even when we, we may feel forsaken, he's still near to all. He's near to all who call upon him, to all who call upon him in truth. And David's observation then was that he'd never seen also the righteous begging for food. And that doesn't mean it can't ever happen, or that God doesn't sometimes allow even the righteous to end up in predicaments and end up homeless or hungry. But it's rare. And David says he hasn't seen it. And in contrast to that, then, he, is, he has instead seen the righteous having adequate supply and even extra to give to those that are in need. And so he makes this general observation as well, then. The righteous lives generously, graciously each day, passing on to others and passing that attitude on to his descendants. You see, a, a godly heritage can be passed on from one generation to another, though it still comes down to that each person must personally respond um, and, and be, have a personal relationship with God. As is already mentioned today, today is Pentecost Sunday, and we recognize then the, the, the coming of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, who speaks through the Word of God to human hearts to convict us of sin and to point us to the forgiveness that is there in Jesus Christ. And it's this same Holy Spirit then that helps us to, to walk in that truth and, and to live our lives as the righteous in this fallen world. The, the plots of the wicked are all around us. They are determined to push God out of their lives and out of our culture. And they will hate those that stand for righteousness. And they're determined to push their agenda to control everything they can. And we don't need to look far to see examples of that. But their time is coming when they'll face the judgment of God. And meanwhile, for those who trust in the Lord, they rest in his sovereignty, believing he establishes their steps and he holds their hand so that even when they trip, they do not fatally fall. And by the grace of God, then they live their earthly lives being a blessing to others and passing on a faith to the next generations. Let us pray. Lord, I thank you for your word and, and the vivid contrasts we see here between the wicked and the righteous. Thank you, too, that you tell us in your word um, that there is an unrighteous, not even one, that is in and of ourselves. We are all sinful and have rebelled against you. But we thank you that there is forgiveness in Jesus Christ and there is empowerment to change. You, you, you give us a new heart that longs after you that wants to live according to your righteous word and will. And Lord, we pray that you'd help us in this world that we live in, where we see the plots of the wicked. And sometimes we hesitate to use that word and even call it that, Lord. But, but that's what your word tells us. For all those that want to push you out and deny that you exist and, and seek to live according to their own plans and their own uh, definitions of right and wrong. Lord, help us that we would have discernment to see those things wherever they are. And, and Lord, that your word would guide us in, in what is truth. And, and that we would be willing to live our lives according to that, 
even when it's not popular, even when at times uh, our culture is, is saying the opposite. Lord, guide us that we would walk according to your way, that we would continue to be the righteous as we look to Jesus on a daily basis. Uh, we pray in his name. Amen. Amen. <clears throat>